0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, June 17th. We begin with details on the newly greenlit Green Line LRT. We get reaction from Ward 6 Counselor Jeff Davison on the decision and an explanation of the different stages of the project.
1: Next, it's our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Neufeld. We ask the chief about the push to defund many police services across North America and what CPS protocols are in place to ensure racial equality in the organization.
0: Earlier this week, City Council unanimously passed an anti-racism motion to address systemic racism and discrimination in Calgary. We get reaction from Vibrant Communities Calgary.
1: And finally, she's one neighbour who always seems to rise to the occasion. We meet our next Community Champion nominee, a woman who's been delivering her own fresh-baked bread, buns and cookies to her neighbours during the pandemic. It eight eleven now, and yes, it is most definitely Calgary's biggest infrastructure project to date, getting the lowdown on the newly approved Green Line LRT. We are joined this morning by Ward 6 Councillor Jeff Davison. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Well, you know, this has been an ongoing topic and much debate, obviously, and finally approved. But there are still a lot of questions, I think, even even our listeners are texting in, wondering exactly how much is this going to cost in the long run? What is going to be the total dollar breakdown, Jeff, when it comes to the Green Line?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the total breakdown of the cost of this is expected to be about $5.544 billion. And so, uh, you know, this is, in fact, as you said, the largest and most expensive project the city of calgary has ever undertaken
0: so we we have the budget numbers we we know what it's going to cost in front of us but how how does this work if if we are doing it in stages and uh, the further down stages could be years from now Uh, what's in place to prevent cost overruns in the future
2: yeah, I mean, effectively, what I worked really hard with uh, my colleagues to do is put a lot of stage-gating in place. The revised recommendations really do important things around reducing that risk and protect the overall material interest of the Calgarians. I look at this and say, you know, we've got three segments here that we need to move forward with. We're ready to go with segment one, which is that shepherd to the Elbow River. When I think about the riskiest piece coming into the downtown core, you know, that that is going to be our highest-cost piece. Uh, you know we have a history in this city of watching uh, our partners uh, pull back funding at uh, you know the halfway point and so I got really concerned with thinking about what happens if we start building a bridge and we're starting in shepherd and all of a sudden funding gets clawed back how do we fill that gap how do we actually have an operational piece of track well we don't and so one of the things I worked really hard to do was introduce this sort of stage gating process you know effectively splitting segment two into two parts so you have a a two A that's the Elbow River to downtown and a two B that is downtown to Sixteenth Avenue North.
1: So is the five point five billion is that the entire length of it from one sixtieth Avenue in the north all the way down to Seaton?
2: No, uh that's not at all. Okay. Uh, and that was another one of the big concerns. This is really just the budget for segment one, uh or sorry, stage one, which is really 126th Avenue southeast so Shepherd to sixteenth uh, Avenue North. And so, you know, one of the big concerns on this that I've I've raised a number of times here is that, you know, we've seen escalating costs on this project now four times. And every time the cost goes up, the trap gets shorter.
0: Okay, so let's talk about, you know, uh, the stages are, are one thing as far as the timeline is another. Are we talking within five years we might see stage one done or is it further down the line than that?
2: Yeah, so effectively yesterday, Council approved segment one to start moving forward. So that is the, uh, the shepherd to uh, uh, the Elbow River piece. Uh, and that will start moving, you know, quickly here. Uh, a lot of the landmass has already been worked on uh, and assembled down there. Um, you know, we've done a lot of the, uh, the, uh, the underground earthworks that need to be done. Uh, all of that stuff has been put together. So, I, And I think that's the piece that uh, is the easiest to start with.
1: Let's get specific, Jeff, about how the plan is to get over the river. What is it going to be?
2: Well, you know, eventually, uh, and, and council has approved the overall alignment for the Green Line. Uh, you know, what we will be able to do is sort of figuring out, you know, how do we prioritize moving north uh you know, at in a time when we have the appropriate capital. We know the bridge is going to cost us between you know i've heard estimates between 400 million and 800 million dollars that's a huge gap we need to really refine that and get that down uh but the idea being that you know with the downtown core being the most expensive uh and, and likely place of cost overruns let's try and get the underground works done downtown first before we start moving ahead and building bridges to the north uh, and that's really just a matter of stage-gating to ensure that we've still got the capital to move forward in the north. If we don't, effectively what we're doing is already setting up uh, a a flexible mobility corridor that can accommodate BRT in the interim until we progress to an LRT system.
0: The other thing we've heard is you know having maybe a, a couple of different contractors working on these projects. Tell us about that.
2: Well, I mean, I think... E- When it comes down to procurement, uh, you know, there's always pros and cons to, you know, do you do one contract? Do you split them into two or three contracts? How does that all work? Um, You know, I look at this and just say the only benefit I need to know is that local, you know, local construction is being hired to do local work. And so when it comes down to things like the South Lake, the downtown part, uh, you know, there's a lot of expertise right here in the city that can move forward and help us achieve those goals. When it comes to things like a bridge, you know, there's really only a handful of companies globally that would be, you know, able to come in and assist us with doing what we're doing. So, you know, my priority right now is that if we're going to get people to work, let's make sure we're putting, you know, to work first
1: the good news is the decision has finally been made and no doubt we'll be chatting with you further as we start moving along jeff and, and get digging a little deeper into the details going forward thank you so much for joining us appreciate your time thanks guys that's ward six counselor jeff davison
0: 708 on the morning news calgary police chief mark newfeld joins us this morning for his monthly visit with us here on the morning news happy to have you here good morning chief
3: good morning uh, andrew and Sue.
0: Well, let's start with a term we've heard a lot lately. It's defunding. What's your stance on this much-used word that's been circulating for the past several weeks when it comes to police services?
3: Yeah, from what I can see, it certainly means different things to different people. And so I've been trying to understand where people are coming uh, from with it. But I think actually it's got a lot to do with... um, The assumption that over the past number of decades, there's been a defunding of several sectors, including social services, public health, that sort of thing around addictions and mental health, and that a lot of that demand has actually ended up falling uh, to police. And it's it's happened because police are sort of the 24-hour, the seven-day-a-week agency that can respond to these things. Um, so I think over time, the, the the theory goes that things have morphed into police being uh, expected to do a bunch of things that maybe they aren't best placed to do. And so I think, you know, from that standpoint, looking at some of the uh, examples that are, that are uh, put forward, uh, you say to yourself, yeah, we should engage in those conversations and see whether or not we are... Um, Uh, best place to be the first uh, agency of first response in any case and of course we're pretty pretty rich with data and so we have no problem participating in those conversations and explaining what we are involved in and, uh, and exploring different ways of doing business.
1: I think it's a great way to think, Chief. You know, no, no s- hit to the police themselves. That You know, some of them are, may not be trained to go in and deal with mental health issues. So why not put together maybe a, an officer-led task force that would be the ones called in when there's a situation like that? It does kind of make sense for, for everybody really involved.
3: Yeah, I think we have to be open to new ideas. And I think what we're talking about here, Sue, is is kind of systems change, right? Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the day, um, in bigger centres, Calgary included, I think there's some pretty innovative programs uh, operating right now um, that actually do some of what we're talking about here. Um, You would probably know that we have the PAC teams, the police and crisis teams, where we've got uh, police officers partnered with uh, clinicians um, to deal with some of these mental health issues as well. So it's not just the police going on their own. Um, Also, you know, downtown, there's good examples, the dope team. Um, uh, yeah. They take a huge amount of work uh, off the police plate by actually building relationships and connecting proactively with vulnerable uh, Calgarians and helping connect them to services before uh, calls for service go on the police board. So we work very closely with them, too. And the idea is to ease that burden on, on the broader uh, systems there, whether it's EMS or the emergency wards or policing. And so, again, I, I think it's a, a good thing to do, and I think uh, we're, we'd be fully engaged in the conversations.
0: You know, the other uh, phrase we've heard recently is uh, systemic racism. And so we're, we're wondering what protocols are in place at the CPS to promote equality within the service and to, to make sure that, uh, you know, those standards are followed.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think that's an ongoing work uh, for all of us, again, across the system, right? There's been a lot of talk about systemic racism, as you say. And so where does that play out uh, potentially in uh, our portion of the system? So we know that uh, we've got to be very careful around our practices around recruiting and hiring and who comes into the organization, trying to increase uh, diversity, but also trying to make sure that we don't uh, bring people in who who may be uh, um, racist or uh, explicitly biased. Um, the training is important, too. Um, we provide our folks when they come in with uh, training on fair and impartial policing. That does examine things like uh, implicit and explicit bias and prejudice and discrimination and those things and discusses ways in which you know, policing and individuals themselves uh, can produce negative impacts on uh, communities. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, we've heard from communities of colour, uh, Indigenous communities, and vulnerable communities that that's an important thing. Um, we have pretty extensive diversity and cultural training in place now. Um, We are going to go back and look at, uh, we have various levels of it. So we're looking at what's mandatory and who gets what and how often. Um, So I think that's really important uh, as well. We've been engaging with the communities uh, very strongly, and you know that's really part of our mantra here at the Calgary Police Service. We've got uh, our diversity resources unit and eight advisory groups that are actually sort of focused around culture and religion uh, as well as the LGBTQ community. And so I I think we're well plugged into the community, but we've certainly heard uh, recently during the protests that we have more work to do and that this is something we need to pay attention to, and so we certainly are.
1: Chief, on a related note, you've been asked recently about random street checks. Can you tell us what exactly those are and why you think it's okay?
3: Yeah, so Sue, the the language around this is really, really important. So street checks are something I support, but street checks are not random. Carding is random. So uh, just again, to be clear, I don't support uh, carding because again, that is random. Uh, at the end of the day, street checks are a tool that uh, police use here in Calgary. We call them info posts, but uh, officers need to actually have a reason uh, to be able to uh, pull somebody over or stop and check somebody or whatever the case might be. Okay. And generally speaking, what happens, uh, I think the numbers about 50% of the ones that uh, we did in 2019 were in relation to dispatch calls for service from the public. So sometimes it's a suspicious person in the neighborhood or whatever the case might be. But even then, when officers go in uh, to the neighborhood, um, the individual that they pull over and, and, and make notes regarding would have to actually match the description. Um, you can imagine that sometimes the descriptions might be vague or whatever, and sometimes they, they stop just to talk to people to see if they've seen anything. But I think that it's a, it's a pretty significant um, um, piece of community-based policing when we go into communities that we can talk to people, and in, it's on that basis that I support that. But I definitely don't support you know pulling people over because of uh, race or colour or any of that sort of thing. That's, uh, that's a non-starter.
0: Also in the news that uh, the ending of the state of emergency uh, here in the city of Calgary, does that change anything for the CPS? I know that when we've uh, spoke with you over the past couple of months, uh, CPS has been involved in enforcing, for example, the large gatherings, etc. So any change in, in what your officers are doing?
3: Yeah, you know what, the whole thing's been changing all the way along, of course, and that's just been the nature of the pandemic and what's been happening. And so now as we move into uh, stage two of the relaunch, there's a number of uh, new businesses opening, as you know, and with that comes uh, different restrictions. And so we're just kind of watching what the health restrictions are in relation to uh, getting those going again, and then seeing what is our role uh, in all of that. Um, Internally, actually, I don't think uh, there will be practically a um, a lot of impact. We've been monitoring this closely around crime trends and... And that sort of thing so we're fully we're fully uh, plugged in there um we did have a, an additional tactical operation center running in relation to covid we still do but uh, as we go forward we'll keep assessing that and see whether we need to continue that or not
1: chief on a much lighter note but very important because the police half marathon is a race that so many people love to take part in it's it's a, a classic in this city and like every other race you guys have had to go virtual with this one i understand
3: Yeah, it's a heartbreaker, and I really feel bad for the uh, committee. Uh, the race committee as well as the sponsors and supporters because uh, we've had largely the same committee in place for the last two years and so you'll remember that uh, last year it was cancelled as well because of inclement Mm -hmm. weather so this year was the 40th anniversary uh, of the race so lots of history here uh, and lots of great work went into uh, preparing for this and then because of the pandemic of course uh, and safety we're not going to be able to do it but um, we are going to do it virtually as you say I think um, the registration has been reopened uh, between now and the end of the month for new registrants and then I think the event's going to go anywhere between mid-September and the end of September and so racers can do it whatever way they want you can do it on a treadmill you can do it on a pathway you can do it uh whatever distance you register for and then upload your time so we are still going to be able to do it not in the way that we had hoped but uh we are going to still pull it off so we're looking forward to it.
0: Chief, you look like a runner were you uh hoping to take part if it was the well are you going to take part this year?
3: Well, I was, I was sort of starting to feel like maybe I'm the, I'm the, uh, the problem here. The bad I luck reg- charm? I, yeah, I registered last year and it didn't go. <laughs> uh, and then I registered this year and it didn't go, so. but, I, but I am going to do it for sure. My wife and I both uh, registered for the 10K, and so we're looking forward to uh, doing that. And so between uh, the mid-September and the end, there will definitely be out there with everybody else. Okay, we'll, uh, Maybe we'll, not together, but we'll be there.
1: We'll compare your time with Andrew's time in the 10K then, because I think he said he's going to participate this year. Mine's from the
3: couch, so <laughs> you win. Uh, you you can do it, Andrew. I, I, I got my money on you.
1: Uh, people can get online at halfmarathon.cpsevents.ca and sign up for that. Thanks for joining us chief always appreciate your time thanks you guys you too that's calgary police chief mark newfeld
0: 909 city council unanimously passed an anti-racism motion on monday to address system, uh, systemic i don't know why i have such a hard time with that systemic racism and discrimination in calgary with reaction we're joined by executive director of vibrant communities calgary megan reed good morning megan good morning so your reaction to me it, it seems like a no-brainer and it was uh you know passed unanimously what are your thoughts on the motion
4: yeah I'm, I was um, really excited um, about that motion and um, uh, both both in the spirit of what's happening, I think in in our country and our world right now in terms of this conversation, but also in the fact that there's some really concrete next steps um, that council can take to to encourage this conversation in the city.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, the motion calling for council members, administrative leaders to all take mandatory training on anti-racism best practices. Should that be something, Megan, that we just all naturally have to do through our businesses, whatever it might be?
4: I think so. Um, You know, I I think there's anti-racism training, which is really important. And I, I love the fact that it was mandatory, I think, in in lots of organizations and businesses, it's an optional training or, or something that somebody might do occasionally for professional development. But really making it part of um, the baseline to work anywhere, I think, is really important. But also supplementing that throughout the years and the months with, with your own uh, learning around this topic um, and speaking with people who have experienced racism is, is also very powerful.
0: And is this, is this more than anything, the recognition and the underscoring that it is important to a, the city we live in, is, is, does that hold some importance to you, the fact that it it is now officially been passed?
4: It does, and I, I think it's great that it was unanimously passed as well. And I, I think the other really exciting thing about, about the actions, and there six of them that are in that motion, um, is that they really start to get to the conditions that hold systemic problems in place. So, you know, these are things like policy and practice. Um, They are looking at the police force, for example. All of those things are are quite critical. And I've I've looked at policies from other cities. Um, I I think we have a really exceptional um, motion here in that it's not just saying we should do something about it. It's really giving those concrete steps.
1: Megan, what does the word systemic mean? Why, why, we hear this; it's, it's kind of like a buzzword these days. But what does it actually mean? Mm. So,
4: um, I, I think the, the best example of that in the conversation that we're that we're having as a society is to to think about the difference between, um, you know, a few bad people or a few bad apples versus um, what are the things that allow uh, racism to to exist, and so. There's a really helpful, um, I find, model that looks at the the six conditions that hold uh, systemic problems in place. And those, um, for example, are policy, practice, how resource and money flows, um, and our mental models. And our our mental models are are how we think about things and how we relate to people that are different than us. Um, And oftentimes, um, you know, we have to start there. What are my unconscious biases, for example? And so the systemic part of that means that, that they're really entrenched. No one person or no no one person's actions or behavior can really change that system. It's the system itself that needs to change.
0: Megan, can you speak to what was in place before this motion? Was there some sort of a template or was this sort of a, each individual department within the city had to have their own kind of a guide work or uh, some kind of a template for this?
4: I can't really speak um, to what the the city internally has been doing, um, but i I do know that um, you know there's there's a lot of work that happens at the city that that does address some of these things on a regular basis. So if we look at the city's resiliency strategy for for example that that includes a lot of components of how we um, how we relate to one another and what those system changes already are. So I think I think in many ways um, there's been a lot of pockets of work. But what this motion really says is, um, first of all, we're, we're really going to call it. We're going to talk about anti-racism, and not just inclusion and diversity. And and those are what we are terms we often use. Um, but anti-racism is really something unique and different. Um, and and I think, obviously, if this is happening at a, at a council level and at a community level, that would obviously have an effect um, on, on the, the city side.
1: And as we continue this discussion about racism and what it means and, and, you know, our role in it, is it more than talking? Is there is there more that we can all do at home? Mm,
4: that's a great question. And yes, absolutely. I think that there's a lot we can do. Um, so we, we have to learn and we have to listen. And, and one thing we've been encouraging a lot lately is that you, know, you, need, you need to read and you need to understand what's happening in our, in our city and in our country related to this. But one of the best things we can do is to talk to our neighbor, to talk to our colleague, to talk to our friend who might have experienced this. That story is incredibly powerful. And once we've sat and maybe sometimes in that uncomfortable space of of really understanding um, how we might be contributing to racism consciously or unconsciously we we need to act there's a really great list on the calgary foundation's website for example of black-led um and black serving organizations in our city check those out volunteer donate do something um and and then become an agent of change if you're in conversations and you hear something that is just not sitting well with you, um, that, that is racist, be brave, call it, and have that conversation, because that conversation is what's really going to change our community as a whole.
0: Megan, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much. That is Megan Reed, Executive Director, Vibrant Communities, Calgary.
1: Important discussion for sure, and you know, even as we were talking about the the Aunt Aunt Jemima syrup being discontinued, they're going to call it a different name, they're going to have a different logo on it, about time for sure. And we got, um, you know, a text from somebody saying, uh, uh, history is saturated with a multitude of terrible atrocities and... They are all horrible. Erasing it doesn't make it go away. In honour to respect the people who suffered through any of these, it should be remembered, but certainly the discussion continues. That's certainly one way to look at it. But then somebody else replied and said that the removal of the logo on Aunt Jemima has been long overdue of the black woman. As an accomplished, racialized black woman, as this texter is here in our city, she says, I'm sick and exhausted of constantly having to prove myself. I released a book about it a couple of years ago, and uh, she thanks us for having this conversation and continuing S-
0: somebody it somebody said and I, I, this is you know stru- struck me What's next, KFC? Well, not KFC because Colonel Sanders was a real person who created the 11 herbs and spices that I happen to love. Right. And so he is the logo. If Aunt Jemima was a real person who had these recipes and uh, produced this syrup and said, you know what? I want my face and image to be on the bottle for eternity as long as this product is available. She's not. Not the case. Yeah. That was a created, a fictional character for the syrup. So this is a little bit different, but I do like your point about history because... Yeah, whether you uh, the, the quote I heard was you may agree with it or disagree with history, uh, but we all have to learn from it. And we wouldn't be where we were today if it wasn't for that history. 642 on the morning news. The U.N. Security Council voting begins today. Uh, what would our nation benefit by having a seat and what would this mean for Canada? For some details, we're joined by Matthew Fisher, international affairs columnist and global news contributor. Good morning to you, Matthew. Hi, Good morning. So so why would this be important to our nation? I'm a bit
5: mystified as to why it is important to our nation. You know, it's a temporary posting or position. You get it for two years. You don't have a veto. The five major countries, the permanent representatives to the Security Council, Russia, France, the United Kingdom, uh, China, the United States, Uh, they get a veto. That's where all the action is. And to to spend millions and to put uh, the prime minister and the country's reputation on the line over this, uh, it's a head-scratcher. I I really have never understood it. I don't understand it uh, now. Uh, I don't think Canada can influence anything. Uh, I don't think our policies are in step with what the U.N. really is talking about much these days. And uh, I think that will continue in the future.
1: Matthew, you say it costs millions. Does that mean the Canadian government is spending millions of dollars to try and get this seat? How does that work?
5: Well, we are spending, I think it's about 15 people. We're permanently, for the last couple of years, assigned to New York from Canada All of them live in extremely expensive apartments and whatnot because New York's expensive. And some of them, of course, have their families there. That's part of the expense, and that totals uh, between $1 and $2 million. But the bigger expense, and we really don't know what it costs, is what promises are we making to try to get the votes of different countries? Uh, A lot of the votes uh, are in Africa. Every nation, no matter how small, little countries in Oceania that have 6,000 or 10,000 citizens get the same vote as uh, the United States does, for example, or or, or Russia. And we don't know what those problems... We've heard a little bit uh, by talking to diplomats and whatnot. We will open embassies, uh, at least one in the South Pacific. It's a posting that, I guess, every diplomat will want. It'll be Tahiti or Fiji or something but uh, that by itself will cost several billion dollars. We're going to do the same with several new embassies in Africa. And basically when you put those embassies there, people will come wanting money from you. So it's very difficult to get a, a grip on the cost, but I, I believe it is many, many millions of dollars.
0: And tell us about the process when it comes to the voting as far as would we have a decision today and how many other nations are in the running? Uh
5: They vote in geographic blocks, and Canada is lumped in with Europe, and this year the European nominees are Ireland and Norway. They're both thought to be ahead of Canada. Every nation gets a vote. The voting begins this morning in about 15 or 20 minutes' time, but because of the coronavirus, the votes will take a long time to tabulate. Uh, Each country will come in to vote in a small group. This takes quite a bit more time and you have to reach a threshold of 130 countries voting for you to get in. So it's very likely that there will be uh, two rounds of voting, not one. Some people think the vote may go into tomorrow, that it won't be resolved today. I I haven't got a clue. I do know that it is going to take uh, longer than it usually does. And then if you win the seat, That seat is yours in the Security Council uh, next year and the year following. It begins in January uh, 2021.
1: Matthew Trudeau says securing a seat is not an end in and of itself, but a way for Canada to continue to be influential around the world. So why is it everybody else seems to find uh, or have such a difficult time finding what that influence would be?
5: (laughs) Because we have no influence. We don't have we don't have a foreign policy. We haven't had a foreign policy review or a discussion of this for so many years. During the federal election, there was to be a debate on foreign policy. It was to be held in Toronto at the Monk School at the University of Toronto. Uh, Trudeau walked away from that. He didn't want anything to do with it. And just as bad, the Conservatives and the NDP and the Bloc Quebecois did not even protest that he walked away. They all just said we won't even discuss the issue. That gives you an idea of where it is just within our own country. But overseas, uh, Canada said it was back. The Prime Minister said in the election campaign in 2015 Canada was back, and peacekeeping was going to be a big deal. Well, in fact, in five years, we sent 250 peacekeepers for one year to Mali. Uh, CP came out, the Canadian press, with a tally a week or, or two ago saying we only have 36 peacekeepers overseas. We used to have thousands. Mm -hmm. I think the CP figure is inflated. I can only come up with 19 or 20 people. On humanitarian aid, Mm -hmm. Harper, uh, Stephen Harper cut humanitarian aid. And then what did Justin Trudeau did? He cut it even further. And so our credentials on all of this, uh, to me, it is ridiculous that Mm -hmm. we're trying to get this. I can't figure out why we want it costs far too much money it is a vanity project basically for the prime minister the problem is when you attach your name to it if you don't get it then you suffer some kind of loss or embarrassment
0: a a bad look perhaps thank you so much for your time this morning and breaking it down for us Matthew. thank you that is uh, matthew fisher international affairs columnist and global news contributor Eight nineteen On the morning news, Uh, very excited. Our community champions uh, continuing till the end of this week. Still have an opportunity at 770CHQR.ca to get online, hit the contest tab, and look for the community champion icon as Marilyn Kodalek did. Uh, Marilyn, good morning to you. Good morning. And I have to be clear, you're the nominator, as we always talk to the nominators, who have found somebody they believe is deserving for recognition for going above and beyond uh, during the lockdown, during the pandemic. So uh, who is uh, your nominee and and why?
6: Um, I nominated Tammy Ringstedt for the communion champion because there is no one I know who places so much value on the importance of community. Since the start of the lockdown, Tammy has been concerned about the effects of isolation on her family, friends, neighbours, fellow parishioners and strangers who needed a helping hand. She has been taking on baking bread, buns and cookies and hand delivering them. She has made over 180 deliveries. She has been baking up to eight loaves a day and delivering them fresh. She's also been shopping and running errands for people who have been shut in.
1: Wow. She she just sounds like a wonderful person, Marilyn.
0: She
6: is. This also includes an aunt and other friends in Red Deer. Wow. For any birthdays that Tammy was aware, she has made sure she knew the person's favorite treat and delivered it on the day. She is continually on the lookout for anyone who might need a little pick-me-up and can't wait for the day she can give a hug.
1: You've made me really wish that Tammy Ringstad was my neighbor. Yes, she is a wonderful person. I could give her your number if <laughs> there to help you guys out. Okay, deal. You know what, Marilyn? So obviously, you know, not just others, but she has she been helping you through this difficult time too? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh,
6: we had actually been overseas and we have um, just moved home at the beginning of March and we're in temporary housing, and we were doing a reno on our house, and uh, she was helping with that and also helping us get back established in Calgary again. So, yeah, she has been an integral part of our reintroduction to Canada. So, yeah, she's a wonderful friend.
0: Marilyn, thank you so much for taking part in nominating uh, Tammy for this incredible, well, we think it's an incredible honour for what she's done for the community. Thank you, Marilyn. Yes,
6: you're very welcome. Thank you.
0: And not not too late if you know somebody nope. who needs some shine and needs some recognition, and they could win a $350 gift card courtesy of Calgary Co-op.
1: Absolutely. We'll deliver that right to their door with our 770 CHQR Community Cruiser, powered by Bow West Appliance. So, jump online right now. 770CHQR.ca Go down a little bit to the contest tab and you can put your group, your person in there. Nominate someone who's gone above and beyond. We'll do this again on Friday with our last community champion that we'll be able to mention. There have been so many great ones. It's a shame we can't mention them all. And then... uh, we'll be announcing our winner as well.